All right, John chapter 13, please. John 13. Before we get started, let me say, does anybody have anything you want to share? Any exciting reading you've been doing? Uh, the New Year's upon us. I hope you're diving in somewhere and getting some study done. I want you to come ready to share things you find in the Word. Uh, usually very engaging here in our conversations in this Equip Hour, but uh, without even having a long conversation, please be ready to share any encouraging scripture that you find. Um, it's not just you saying it, it's you saying it for others to hear. So be mindful of that ministry uh, when the opportunity arises for you to share. I want us to embark on a study of how we relate to others. How we relate to others. In the language of the Bible, this comes to us through a Greek pronoun that we translate one another, one another. Now, the more you're around church language, you'll find yourself using the language of one another, but it's probably a little more common to say each other. Um, you'll notice this, you know, when you hear somebody you know, speaking on a, on a video or on the news even, um, and they'll use language that sounds a little more church-like than just common English. You often see this with, like, maybe professional athletes. I remember Kurt Warner, you know, the quarterback for ooh, the Rams and then the Cardinals, Christian guy, and you'd hear him talk even on talking about football, and they'd say, like, amongst teammates, you know, they do this for one another, or they love one another as a team, and I'm like, ah, that doesn't sound, that sounds like church, that doesn't sound like football. Um, so, one another is very familiar to us, and rightly so, as often as it is used in the New Testament, but understand that it's, it's very similar to the language we use when we speak of the phrase, each other. In the coming weeks, we'll see a handful of verses that speak about the bad behavior that we tend to manifest toward one another. And then we'll study through a rather comprehensive list of commands of the good behavior that we should express to one another. It gets pretty nuanced when you break down the umbrella command that we'll study this morning and begin to apply it in a lot of different ways, we realize pretty quickly, um, that the daily list of commands that would come to us from the New Testament on any given day when you wake up and swing your feet over to hit the floor uh, is a pretty daunting list, which should remind us of the wonderful doctrine of the Holy Spirit that is given to us to pursue righteousness. That fruit is being worked in us by the very Spirit of Christ so that as we yield to Him, we can do all of these things that we're told to do to and for and with one another. So this study will touch on various relationships. There are some of these that will find application to even non-believers in your life. But when you look at most of the teaching of the New Testament, you're going to find the clearest application to our relationships with other believers, uh, be they family or the church. That's the context where you are most often going to see these relationships really demonstrated and tested. Demonstrated because as disciples of Christ, we should manifest this kind of life with each other but then tested because it's the church, it's God's people then, that in seeing the way you live, testify to the validity of your profession to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So in the text we'll look at, Jesus says, by this all men will know you are my disciples. Okay, so by the way that you live with one another, people will have the right to say, yes, I, I think that looks like you're a follower of Jesus. Or they'll have the right to say, I don't see that. Uh, that's the value of the church when it comes to what we've kind of labeled as the battle for assurance of salvation. 
Yes, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, bears witness to that. Yes, you should be able to see the fruit in your own life. Look at 1 John and his letter. Uh, But then there's the testimony of the church that should be able to affirm by what they see in you that you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. So what's the starting place of relationships? Uh, It's this umbrella principle or command, we could say, to love one another. So let's look at this source from which all the other one another's flow. Uh, It's this massive root ball underground. Picture a, a giant oak tree that gets pushed over in a tornado and that huge ball of root that's sticking up out of the ground and obviously a lot more that are still in the ground. Uh, that's what we're looking at. We're trying to get to that root. Or, you know, you go down to Bennett Spring, Arkansas, and you see that massive hole coming out of the ground, hundreds of thousands, millions maybe of gallons of water a day uh, shaping that river. Well, there's the source. You're getting to the spring uh, from which all the rest of the one another's flow. John 13 begins a new portion of John's account of the life of Christ. He spends 12 chapters on birth and early ministry of Jesus, covering roughly three years. And then from chapters 13 to 21, it covers a matter of weeks, uh, days for most of it. So there's, there's, a, there's a zooming in now in John 13 that happens. Here's all his life, beginning with, in the beginning was the word, his ministry, and then chapter 13, suddenly you're, you're zooming in to see details, like minute by minute, hour by hour, conversation by conversation, uh, in the, especially in the unfolding of redemption. Jesus is observing the Passover feast with his disciples there in the upper room. Uh, Judas uh, is going to betray him. He's going to leave this very meal and go and betray Jesus. Uh, The Passover meal unfolds. And after Judas leaves, we hear these words from Jesus in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Two verses, and in them, and and I'm going to read them again so you can hear it, I want you to try to help me identify three reasons for loving each other. All right? And then we'll look at those individually once we identify them. So look at it again. And try to think of three reasons, three motivations uh, for us loving each other based on these two verses. So a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we're trying to find three reasons That'll use up most of the words. Like literally you can kind of underline portions of the verse uh, and, okay, there's a reason. Then you could go to another one. And so I'm not asking you to like think through some kind of logical, reasonable answer. I'm saying literally just words on the page kind of answer. What would help me love others? Like what is here giving me reason to love others? All right. You have one of them, Roy, or question? Uh, it's a command. Yeah. I think the first reason we love one another is because Jesus commands us to. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. So in expositing scripture, in exposing what's there, you can see we just let the Bible speak. It'll tell us these things. So sermons are supposed to be like what you're doing now. If you were given these two verses and asked to share a devotional, the hardest part would be coming up with like the 
the label. What are we, the reasons for loving or the motivations or something like that because they're, they're coming to us pretty clearly. A new commandment I give to you. So we should love each other because it's a command. All right, we'll come back and ex- examine that reason. What's another one? Because he loved us. Because he loved us. Because you have been loved by Jesus, you should love others. All right? And he says that pretty clearly. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So he's told us twice to love one another. First, as a command. Second, as an example. Following his model of love for us, which isn't just academic. Oh, here's the model. I can imitate that. No, it's this transforming love that I've received that should now be shown to others. All right, and what's, what's the third reason? We've exhausted 34, at least for the real obvious reasons. So what's in 35? Testimony. Yeah, there's this testimony. There's this uh, making known the love of Christ in the way you love others. So by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love others because love marks you as a follower of Christ. You could stand on a street corner and tell people, I'm a follower of Jesus. And some skeptic might stop and ask some questions of you, like, what good is it for you to stand there and just say it? Like, what have you done for anybody lately? Or what value are you bringing to the world? Or how are you helping feed the poor? They might have some challenge to this declaration of, oh, I love, I love, I love. And that would be fair because Jesus is saying, by the way you love one another, they will know. Um, this is why our spouses have the right to not just hear us say, I love you, but to see a life that demonstrates that. Because it's, it's, it's in the doing where that love is really proved. Uh, so three reasons, because Jesus commands us to love, because you've been loved by Jesus, and because love marks you as a follower of Jesus. So let's look at these individually so that we can understand this umbrella principle, this command to love one another. If we don't get a good grasp on this, it's going to be hard to, to, to see the real strength of all the other one another's. So love one another because Jesus commands us to love one another. If I were to command my kids to love lima beans, we had shepherd's pie yesterday and I was digging through it, and I said, I, I'm not finding any lima beans. And all the kids were like, oh, too bad. Um, well, if I command my kids to love lima beans, the best they could do would be to eat them, but they probably just couldn't muster up, like, a desire for them, a, a, a love for eating them. Okay, now, I'm going to jump to the question... <laughs> How can love be mandated? Granted, based on the illustration of loving lima beans, so we're going to have to do some work at definitions here. Um, But how how can love be commanded? That could sit oddly with people, like we can't make somebody love something. Well, uh, this seems roundabout, but in 1 John, the test of salvation, a man says he loves his brother it says he loves God and hates his brother. He's a liar. So there is a mark of salvation stamped on a true believer that is a residual love for fellow believers that must be there or you're not saved. I think this is more of a command to increase that. Right. The book of James you know, has this proclamation of faith, and James is saying, well, that faith should be fleshed out in works. And he even gives that example in chapter 3. If you, have, if you have this world's goods and see your brother in need and don't help him, how dwells the love of God in you? It's not socialism or communism, like you have to give all your stuff away. The point is, where's your heart to, to help somebody, to demonstrate this bold declaration of love that you're making? I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, then 
love like him. Uh, that's the point James is making. Uh, some have tried to pit James's teaching against the Apostle Paul, but uh, there's really no conflict here. James is simply saying, when you profess to be a follower of Jesus, that kind of gets stamped as valid by everyone who sees, yeah, I think he follows Christ because he looks just like him. He lives just like him. He serves just like Jesus did. So that's the point James is making. Uh, what do we do with this question, how can love be mandated? John? It becomes it's a, a decision to act in accordance with the principle, not on the basis of someone meriting the reception. Are you feeling that affection? But because we've been commanded, and so we're out of obedience. And then we have to allow God to work in our heart, so it becomes more of an internal action versus just a to-do list thing. So it's more than a feeling, but it's a response to the command. It's an exercise of the will. Um, and John added at the end there, we, we do want God to so work in our hearts that we're doing this willfully, cheerfully out of worship. And it's not just what we would think of as like a legalistic approach. And I'm just doing this because I have to. Um, so that's, that's a fair concern at times, but the reality is love is a choice. Uh, and that's where we have to get to this definition of love. Because even when I say I could command my kids to love lima beans, what we mean when we say we love food is a little different uh, than this command to love one another. Um, and you may never be able to muster up any desire for lima beans, um, but you can be obedient to God's command to love one another. Paul? I was just going to, in, in regards to lima beans, but really in regards to our own hearts, that uh, kind of tag teaming off of what Roy was saying there, that the, I mean, we can, of course, ask our kids to eat the lima beans, but when we're asking, when we're commanded to love, we're essentially being asked to demonstrate the fruits of Christ, which we are to actually produce those affections in our hearts is impossible apart from Christ being the first mover and putting a new heart and a new nature within us. So like that even as we think about the commands being doable or possible because of what Christ has done, um, it's I think it's helpful for me anyway to reflect on what Christ has done because this command is not doable, is not a part of my nature apart from receiving a new nature in Christ. Um, that that affection does not exist and cannot be. That command is not achievable apart from Christ. There's, this, there's the understanding of the new nature that is created in us upon our faith in Jesus Christ. This will tie well to our morning study as we think of the, the covenants. Uh, the promise that Ezekiel and Jeremiah gave us, God's promise through the prophets, was that he would put a new heart within us. Um, and so that they wouldn't have to look at tablets of stone and say, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to commit adultery. No, it would be written in their heart, and they would know what God wanted them to do, and they would be able to do it from the heart. You see, whether it's Mosaic Law of the Old Testament or the commands in the New Testament, God has always been concerned with the heart. Sometimes we kind of stereotype Old and New Testaments, and we think the Old Testament is just law and God just had these commands they had to obey or else and the New Testament is about grace and the heart and all. No, God gave all those commands in the Old Testament and at times they would renew the covenant and one of those in Deuteronomy, uh, they all say, yes, we will keep your commands and God doesn't say, oh, well, good, we're all on the same page. When they say, oh, no, we're really going to keep your commands, he says, you know what, just go back to your tents. I've heard enough. Oh, that there was a heart in you to obey my commands. He just didn't need to hear him say, oh, yeah, we're going to do it this time. We're going to do it this time. No, he was readying us for a new heart that would be in us, uh, a heart brought about through the power of the resurrection uh, and by the Holy Spirit. So that's important to keep in mind that 
what we're talking about, and all through the New Testament, you're rarely going to find the qualification added to the command, oh, and remember, do this from the heart, you know, we're not just checking a box. The New Testament doesn't spend a lot of time belaboring that because that's the assumption. If you're identifying with Christ in this new promise that he's made, sealed by his own shed blood, then he's put a new heart within you. We've addressed the heart. Now it's that yielding to this Holy Spirit that's been given to make all this good stuff happen. We're woefully deficient in understanding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and so we dive into every week neglecting that and just thinking, I'm going to do better, and not realizing my hope at doing better is first depending on the Spirit. In My hope in running the race is looking unto Jesus. And yes, that's his finished work, but it's also his Spirit that's put within us to make this possible. So as we talk about doing all these one another's, this is a fundamental discussion to understand. I don't want to bring it up too often because it's just not the weight of Scripture to keep like reminding, oh, remember, don't just check the box. It's like, listen, if you're in the checking boxes, then I don't know what you're saying. Are you saying you don't have the Holy Spirit and a new heart? Um, perhaps. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a reminder that you're thinking wrongly about what righteousness looks like and where it comes from. Uh, again, the Bible is going to be quick at do this to one another, do this to one another, do this to one another, based on the assumption that you have the Holy Spirit and this is entirely possible. And anything other than doing these one another's is because you are willfully choosing to be selfish and sinful. There's no other explanation biblically for it. When you're selfish and arrogant, short with the kids, rude to your spouse, there's no other explanation other than I made a choice. Right? Think it through and find some way to get to agreement because otherwise we're neglecting the truth that we are freed from the bondage of sin. We do not have to sin, Romans 6 says. We are now free to yield ourselves to make the choice to serve righteousness. Um, So all this one another stuff, it can feel like, a oh man, I got to do all these things. No, you just have to be like Christ. That's all you have to do. And we'll kind of see that as this unfolds. Remember, love is a choice. It's an act of the will, first and foremost. It's not purely a response of emotions. If we don't define love in its truest form, which would be its biblical form, then we'll get sucked into thinking love is really defined by like our response to lima beans. Well, I don't love them because they're not lovable. They're mushy, right? Um, And I don't love some people because they're unlovely. And we'll feel comfortable in that selective love when that's not what the Bible says. Love, according to the Bible, is looking at the lima bean and saying, you're mushy, but I'm going to love you. Um, And you know there's mushy people out there that are hard to love, right? You drove to church with some of them, perhaps. And you thought, you know, there's moments when we're just not at our best, and yet the love of God to us is constant, it's faithful, it's steadfast, and that's what our love is to look like. So make, make that definition of love significant so that we understand it's, a, it's an exercise of the will. It's an act of worship. I'm actually laying something on the altar. I don't want to love that person for these reasons, but I will choose to. That makes it no less love. You know, I don't know that your spouse wants to get a Valentine's Day card saying, I love you because I have to. But if they really think about it, they shouldn't be too alarmed that you made the choice to be faithful to them and not wander and not stray, that you are committing to this by regular intent. Those are good things. They might not sound romantic if we don't word them well. Uh, But love is a choice, steadfast love. It's that commitment to faithfulness. Uh, So let that anchor love and then dress it up with all of what we think of as romance and desire that can flow from 
that bond of covenant faithfulness. Roy? I think I was starting to react in your last statement. They're kind of headed the way I'm thinking. Love out of duty doesn't strike me as the fullness of what love should be. Your wife is not going to appreciate you just, when she figures out you're just doing it and there's no heart behind it, there's a problem. And I was looking at Romans 12, 10 in King James, it says, be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love. So it actually looks like, at least in that translation, it's making a differentiation. And yes, we are commanded to do loving actions, but if we don't have the heart, that should be a matter of intense prayer. Definitely. Uh, there, there are the struggles, and you'll find them throughout the scripture, of hearts that are maybe guilty hearts, uh, they could be weary hearts, sorrowful hearts, where the feelings of, or the, or the spontaneity of either worship towards the Lord or love to someone else may feel like they're plugged up and it's not flowing. Um, and, and those are hard seasons where we do need to dig into the faithfulness of our Savior and what he does for us, even in those moments. Um, but we have to fight against that, that thought that somehow duty or obedience to love is a diminished love, whereas free, easy-flowing love is really what we're looking for. Um, Jesus would say to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. He, and again, well, what if my heart's not in it? Do you care? Like, does God care? If he knows you're struggling and you're bent on sin, and in that moment you choose righteousness because God said so, is he pleased or not? Would he rather you sin and, express, and, and satisfy pure feeling, or would he rather you surrender feeling to his worth? I think we... I think we think worship is, is, is all about our feeling, but it's not. It has nothing to do with you. It is about the value of God. And when that value of God comes to the forefront of our minds, I don't indulge in looking at pornography, or I don't flirt with that woman at the workplace, or I don't take just a little bit of that money that nobody will notice because the value of God in that moment makes me say no to what I desperately want to do and yes to him because he is worth obeying. These one another's, yes, will we'll agree. They must flow from the heart, but you have that heart. Just remember in this life, until we put off these bodies of corruption, it, we're going to be pulled into these other desires and the purest, truest love can be manifest in saying no to that because Jesus by his spirit is whispering in my ear if you love me do it my way if you love me don't go down that path and when I choose him he's saying that's love that's what I'm asking for that's what defines the Christian life so well by constant obedience following the command, it just parallels, right, with sanctification, and you build the right habits to where it does flow more freely, because it's not every single time it's a decision of the will, and you have to make a choice. It comes more naturally over time, because it becomes part of your everyday life. Right. We speak of the old nature, the old man, and the new nature, the new man, and ideally, the phrase that we use, oh, that's kind of like second nature, Ideally, righteousness does become the norm, that, that's your default. It just will never be purely that and because we're sinful in this life. As you mature, yes, some of, those some of you, you know, haven't been tempted with some of the sins I've mentioned ever or, you know, for a long time. Well, there's maturity there that, that gives some strength and stability and, and you've, you've learned how to resist some of those things. So take heart 
that even these one another commands, the obedience may come easier with growth and understanding of truth in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think we have probably heard people say facetiously, perhaps, and almost paradoxically, you know, I, you know, I, I love you, but I, I just really don't like you right now. There's, there's kind of some truth to that when we start defining terms. When we say I don't like you right now, you could say that to your spouse or a friend or whatever. Um, what you're saying is, okay, there's, there's conflict. We're not quite seeing this the same or, you know, that struck me wrong. You offended me. But we're defaulting to I can't get away from the command that we have to love each other. Uh, we have to esteem each other and treat each other well. Um, so that, that helps us think through the feelings and the commands, the choice that we have to make uh, regardless of feelings. Yes, ideally, worship would always flow easily from a heart that's just overflowing and unhindered. Um, McShane wrote about that in his hymn, When I see thee as thou art, worship with unsinning heart, um, he wrote. Uh, Yeah, that'll be heaven. And I guess heavenly marriage would be, you never even feel like you're making a choice. It's always so easy to love that person. Um, The Bible's saying, but when it's not, you love them anyway. Because... When you were a sinner, God loved you and demonstrated his love to you by giving his son. So no more excuses. Like, let, let's, let's embrace these one another's and, and know, one, I can do this because God's given me a spirit. This is what it looks like to become like Christ. Jesus calls this Instruction to love, a new commandment. (laughs) It begs the question, and let's try to answer it, what is the old commandment? A new commandment I give to you. Well, that's pretty understandable, but what's the old commandment? What thoughts do you have? Any guesses, John? First commandment, second, love So John's selecting as the old commandment, Deuteronomy, a couple probably a couple references, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. What else? Any other thoughts on what is the old commandment? This is new. What's the old? Is it referring to the Ten Commandments? Could be the Ten Commandments. If you chose, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk, you'd be right. If you chose, don't cut down the fruit trees in the seasons of war, you'd be right. If you chose, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, you'd be right. I think it's wide open to pick from any of those laws of the Old Testament. They were all called the law, collectively. They are the requirements that defined the standard for holiness in that old covenant God had made with Israel. He had given them a command, a law. Well, just before Jesus spoke these words in John 13, they had been eating the Passover meal. And Jesus transforms it. He he says it's the last time they'll eat this meal in this way, remembering the Passover, looking way back to the deliverance from Egypt. Uh, Now he's going to make this meal, as often as they would do it, uh, about a different deliverance, his deliverance of them from their sin. And Luke 22 records that at that table, Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus was going to 
inaugurate, make a new covenant that would still communicate the standard for holiness. And Jesus revealed it in his answer uh, to a trick question when he was asked in Matthew 22, what is the greatest commandment? And he gave us the commandment, the new commandment that goes with the new covenant. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So there were old commandments that were given. But essentially, Jesus is saying they too were defined by love. We just don't think of them that way because we want to overgeneralize law and grace or uh, the Ten Commandments versus instruction in the New Testament. And we're, we're not getting back to the source. What is the source of those commands that called for holiness in the Old Testament? Well, it's the character of God. He hasn't changed. He was, he was there in the Garden of Eden before there were Ten Commandments or all the other ones. And the command was simply, trust God to get it right. You don't need the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil if you're trusting God to get that right. So don't eat of this tree. But that reflected God's character. Well, as humanity is running amok, even after the new beginning of the flood, God codifies the path of righteousness in the Mosaic law, saying this is what it would look like to be holy unto God, meaning you live righteously and you distinctly belong to him. And that didn't guarantee that people would live right. And they very quickly fractured that covenant. Well, Jesus makes a new covenant and says it has a new commandment. And that commandment is here in John 13. It's there in Matthew 22, echoing Deuteronomy, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. That we love others. Because on these two commands, loving God and loving others, you can take any law that God has given and hang it on there. They are the summaries. So there are reasons for all those commands in the Old Testament. You could take all the manifestation of the one another commands in the New Testament, and they're going to be hanging on these two hooks, loving God and loving others. In Galatians, Paul would tell us to love one another, not to bite and devour one another. And he says, if, if you would live by this law of Christ and love one another, he says, there, there's no law against that kind of behavior. If you truly loved rightly, you wouldn't have any other law you have to keep. And at first we think, oh, that'd be great if there was just a command to love and we didn't have to do all this other stuff. no. You're missing it. If you truly loved, you would be obeying all those commands without even knowing they were there. Because you wouldn't commit adultery and wouldn't need that command if you truly loved the way you should. And so it is with all the other sin failures and commands that we hear. We wouldn't need them if we understood this command. Yeah, exactly. Just a quick reference here. It's Job. One of the uh, tougher individuals, I believe, that uh, prospered through all the uh, craziness he had to go through. Uh, chapter 19, <coughs> verse 21 here. Um, have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do ye persecute me as God and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that were printed in a book, that they were given with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon earth. It just continues on and on. You know, and it's. <clears throat> if anybody went through the ringer, I know it's Job. Yeah, and he still. Job. Stood just with a steadfast love. And he 
each and every day. I think we just need to strive to live like that and just to have that faith. So from Jesus' words in John 13, love one another because Jesus commands us to. Secondly, we concluded from that example of Christ, we should love each other because we've been loved by Jesus. So he says, love one another as I have loved you. This makes us think of two things. One, we have experienced love. So we've received it. We've been kind of filled up with love. That should spill out to others. Um, and if we're wondering how that spills out to other, it's it, that word as is significant. Love one another as or just as or like Christ loved you. So we have the experience of Jesus' love and we have the example of his love. So we're, we're kind of without excuse. We, we're plugged into the power source so our love should work because our love is actually his love. And we have the manual that says exactly how to use it. Love as you've been loved. So if you were unlovely when Christ loved you, then love the unlovely. If Christ who was rich became poor for your sake so that you could be rich, then love others that way. Prosper them, benefit them, help them forward. And that's not just materially, but spiritually, relationally. Uh, sacrifice for others. The example of Jesus shows us what he means when he says, love one another. And if that's the example, if that's the bar, if that's the standard, greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends, then we'd better understand that if we're going to obey loving one another this week, it's going to be over and over again, probably saying no to what we want to do and saying yes to what is right to do. Not even no to sinful behavior, but just no to things that make my life easier. I want to relax. I want to crash. I want me time, and yet somebody is in need. I, I have to love my spouse. I have to, you know, help my in-laws. I have to do whatever. I have to do the extra work at the office. There are, there are ways you will demonstrate love to people that go in the column of sacrifice. And it'll come along with thoughts like, I don't know why I'm the only one that does this. I, I don't know why I have to do this. I don't know why I have to carry this extra. I don't know why she can't. Or Don't try to answer those questions. Uh, just know that as Christ loved you, and go look again at Scripture and see what that looks like so that you have your own proof, your own arguments. Don't take it from me. What does the Bible say about how Christ loved us? Because once we wrestle with that, we realize this experience of Christ's love, this example of Christ's love is more than just this mindset of our kind of society of pay it forward. Right? That's kind of like the, the great act of sacrificial love in our culture. Buy the guy's whopper in line behind me in the drive-thru, and I've accomplished you know, righteousness somehow. Uh, it's more than just a general niceness. It's this sacrificial love. It's not based on merit. It's not done for self-glory but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, so that we don't get foolish in our benevolence. And it originates in a heart that's been made new by the gospel. When Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, we have to remember, in loving us, it was transformational. Uh, it, it was empowering I, I wasn't able to do this before, and now I am. That's not pay it forward. That's you're a new creation in Christ, and you are his workmanship, created in him for good works, Ephesians 2.10 tells us. So this loving one another is exactly what you're made for. And when you don't do it, you're not reflecting 
the very purpose of Christ that has been carved into you. Paul? I was just going to say that looking at verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another, that the great hope of obeying the command to love, and there is clearly a command there, is also that it will be met with actual love, um, that there is something transformational that transition from dusty law to law that is also met with grace to fulfill it. It's not by this wall people know that you are my disciples if you have the motions and general needs of obedience that look like acts of kindness or long-suffering, that it's actual affection, that people, that God's disciples are marked not by motions, but by actual affection, the actual brotherly affection for one another. That there's something that's transformational. So even as we think about the command to love and the Holy Spirit's enabling towards that love, but that we can also have faith and confidence that our yielding to that command and yielding to the Holy Spirit will be met with, unlike lima beans, will be met with an actual transformation of our affections that we can bear this mark as disciples that actual affection, actual love will manifest as the fruit of Christ, as, as the fruit of having a new heart within us. That's good. Focus on that, the transformation of the new covenant. Read, I want to say Ezekiel 20, it's 26 or 36, and Jeremiah 31, and understand that with this new heart, it is articulated so that you will be able to keep my commandments and walk in all my ways. Um, don't, don't, we cannot read these one another's and the, the new commandment uh, apart from recognizing this will be a God-wrought thing, this will be a God-empowered thing. So every time we talk in the coming weeks about here's the one another command that you should do, remember we, we have the foundation for how this is possible. Um, and it's really summarized there in just as I have loved you. Uh, finally, we said that we love one another because love marks you as a follower of Jesus. Um, the catchphrase we're looking for from the world and from people that see the way we live is, is the phrase, something's different. Something's different about you. Maybe they'll say it, maybe they'll just think it. But a couple times in the New Testament, we're told that people should kind of notice or there's something different about us. In Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, men see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We don't know how straight that line is to glorifying God, but when they see something different about you, knowing you're what you call yourself a Christian, that's the beginning of that verse. Philippians 2 says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we're to shine as lights in the world. We're holding forth the word of truth. We're different. 1 Peter 3, ready to give a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for our hope. Love marks you as a follower of Jesus, not only amongst the church, but also there in the midst of the world. So recognize the importance of this foundational principle on which we'll build the one another's, or we could say the umbrella principle that covers all the one another's. This is the spring on this command of loving God and loving others. All other commands that we're going to study rest. So wrestle with as Christ has loved you this week as the foundation for what's going to be laid on you week after week as we study well over a dozen uh, almost two dozen commands of this is how you love one another. And inherent in each of those commands will be, how are you doing on this? How well do you do when this is the command and it comes to bear on this context? What do you do in that moment? 
And the idea, the goal will be, this is a sanctifying experience to look at what are really pretty simple verses, the instructions that simply say, do this to one another. And we'll realize, man, I might be more selfish than I have recognized in the past. And that can be weeded out, and in its place can be that growth and that maturity of the Spirit's control in those moments. Because if we practice this true biblical love, there is just no law that governs us. There's no law that hangs over us, that demands something of us. If we love as Christ loved us, against that kind of living, there is no law. And that's good news. This is what the Holy Spirit can do for us this week. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of these simple verses Yes, in the form of a command, and we should realize we have something we must do in obedience. But in these verses, we find the power for obedience. Uh, Our sinful lives transformed by the sufficient work of Christ. His righteousness at work in us. Forgiveness stamped on us eternal life, our lasting hope with these gifts that we have received from Christ, would you inspire us and empower us to obedience to this command to love one another and and give give it root in our lives this week so that our marriages would be a little, a little fresher, a little bit better picture of what Christ has done for us as the church. May our parenting be governed a little bit more firmly by this command of love. May our workplace relationships and encounters with neighbors be a little more intentional because we know we're under this command, and we know we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey it. Make us people who love as we have been loved, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.